Good morning, everyone. Hello. Um, It is such a privilege to be with you this morning and be able to share from the Word of God. My name's Becca. Thanks, everyone. Um, And I've been a part of this church for almost 10 years. Um, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but particularly I'm passionate about loving Jesus and enabling others to do the same. So my prayer is that that is what we'll do this morning, that we'll look at Jesus and we'll love him more. Um, But what a wonderful morning we've had already. I love a baptism service. I don't know about you. It always feels like such a celebration. Even if you don't really know the people, you can share in the story and the testimony of what they've just done. Um, But if you're new here, you might be thinking, that was really weird. What's going on? Um, If you're new to faith and you don't really know anything about baptism, it is a really strange thing to do. Um, you might understand the sharing of the stories and when um, each person talks about how God has changed their life, but the actual dunking in the water is a bit strange. Um, and this morning, I want to try and unpack a story that will hopefully help us to understand some of what happens in baptism. And the story is one of death and burial, but ultimately resurrection. And my prayer for you this morning, wherever you're at with Jesus, is that you will know that Jesus is, as it says on the screen, the resurrection and the life, and what it means to experience resurrection life in Jesus. Um, If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn with me. It will also be on the screen, Um, and we're going to be looking at a passage in John 11. But first of all, for a bit of context, John is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus written by one of his closest friends. Helpfully, later on in the book, John outlines exactly why he's included everything he has in his account. He says, these are written, these stories are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so my prayer is the same as John's this morning, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the story. Father, thank you that you are here by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are present with us. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself through your Son, Jesus, and through the words of the Bible. And so, Lord, as we look at this story, I pray that you would illuminate it to us, that you would open our hearts, and that by your Spirit that we would draw nearer to you. Amen. Um, So this story comes after a series of miracles and some teaching, and it begins with two sisters called Mary and Martha, who are sent to Jesus and come to tell him that their brother Lazarus is very ill and will soon die. Jesus says to the sisters that this illness won't lead to death, but that it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified. He delays going to see Lazarus a couple of days, and then as he prepares to go, he says that Lazarus has fallen asleep and that he goes to awaken him. And this is where we meet the story. You can read that bit for yourself. I paraphrased quite a lot, but the gist is there. Um, So we're starting at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The story doesn't begin happily and full of hope. In fact, it begins with a statement that we consider fairly bleak. Lazarus has died. And confusingly, Jesus says, Lazarus has died, but for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. One of Jesus's closest friends has died, but Jesus is glad. Not really the response that we generally want when we have been told that my brother has died or my friend has died, that I'm glad that I wasn't there. From the beginning of this story, we know the ending. Jesus has said earlier than this passage that I just read that he's going to awaken Lazarus from sleep. But as we meet the story, it's important to be reminded that the situation is pretty bleak and hopeless. I think we can all resonate with this moment where it seems like hope is lost and we can't see a way through. Perhaps like Mary and Martha, we have felt the keen sting of death and grief. That might be a reality for you in this room in this very moment. The Bible doesn't shy away from despair and hopelessness, but instead it offers us a way through. So let's read on. 
When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. It's important here that John chooses to mention exactly how long Lazarus had been in the tomb. In Jewish tradition, a body would have been buried immediately after death. And there were some superstitions that suggested the soul could stay around the body for a few days afterwards. By mentioning that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, Jesus, John is emphasizing the lost hope and the finality of death. Lazarus is definitely dead and there's no chance he's coming back to life. That's what Mary and Martha would have believed. That's likely what the disciples would have believed. Up to this point in the account of Jesus's life, we've seen him do amazing miracles and we've seen him do signs and wonders that people have never seen before, but we haven't seen him raise someone from the dead. And so you can imagine the disappointment of the disciples who would have expected that Jesus would come to Lazarus while he was still ill and heal him because that's what they've seen him do before. Jesus had told them that he would wake Lazarus up. Would they have thought that he just got it wrong this time? That, ah, it's okay, Jesus, you can't get it right every single time. Maybe this time you're not going to awaken this guy. Maybe this healing isn't going to come. The miracle isn't going to happen. And as we read on, we learn more about how Mary and Martha in particular would have felt. John tells us many of the Jews... Uh, had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We understand the pain and disappointment that they might have felt, don't we? We expect Jesus, the same Jesus who two chapters earlier heals a man that's born blind to have saved their brother from death. So we know that Jesus can do amazing things. So why hasn't he done it? Why hasn't he done it in this situation to save their brother? Perhaps you resonate with Mary and Martha here. You've heard and seen God do amazing things, maybe in your life, maybe in the lives of other people. So why hasn't he shifted that situation in your life? Why hasn't he healed that affliction? Why hasn't he done the miracle you expected him to do? And then Jesus goes on to say, your brother will rise again, which we might see as rubbing salt further into the wound. I don't know if you've ever shared sadness or frustration or pain with someone and have them respond with a platitude you really don't want to hear in that moment. When you have poured your heart out to someone and then they say, yeah, but God's good, isn't he? And you just look at them and think, yeah, he is good, isn't he? Yeah, good point. God is really good and we can believe it in that moment, but yet it might not be the thing that we want to hear. I imagine that's how Martha might have felt. Yeah, Jesus, okay, he will rise again because she believes that he will rise, sorry, skipped too far. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's what she says. There is a Jewish belief that there would be a resurrection on the last day, kind of similar to what we believe But it happens when the Messiah comes and the bodies of those that are dead will be reunited with their souls. Here, Martha is accepting that what Jesus says is true. Yes, my brother Lazarus will rise again one day. One day in the future, Martha believes the world will be made right when this long awaited and anticipated and the prophesied and hopeful Messiah will come and then people will rise again on the last day. And so the next thing that Jesus says is unbelievably significant. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. And in this moment, he is declaring two things. Firstly, Martha, the Messiah has come. Martha would have believed in this resurrection when the Christ comes. And Jesus saying, I am the resurrection, is saying, look, the Christ has come. This is it. It is me. The one who she's been waiting for. The one that countless generations have been waiting for and longing for. The one that will make all bad things come untrue. The Messiah has come and it is Jesus. And secondly, Jesus is declaring that the resurrection is not a future event. It's not something that's going to happen. Resurrection and life is a person. And that person is Jesus. The I am statement that Jesus makes here is emphatic. In the Greek, he basically says I twice. Jesus is saying, I, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. I am the resurrection and the life. Not some event that's going to happen in this distant future, but Martha, this person that's standing in front of you right now. With the statement that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we discover that wherever Jesus is, there is life. That means that if you know Jesus this morning, you have resurrection life dwelling inside you. Paul, the writer of much of the latter part of the Bible, puts it this way the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in you that's crazy isn't it the same power that raises lazarus from the dead the power at work in the resurrected jesus is at work in you if you accept jesus as your lord and savior and this means as well that if you don't know jesus you do not truly have fullness of life The offer that Jesus gives is this, come to me and you will have life. You will not have it outside of me. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, he has a full and abundant life to offer you. He is the resurrection and the life. Come to him and he will give it to you. So though with this statement, it seems like Jesus has somewhat spoiled the ending of the story. Let's go back to it. Jesus continues to come to Lazarus with Martha, and on the way, he meets Martha's sister Mary. She shares with him the same frustration and grief as her sister, declaring, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We understand how Mary would have felt. She's lost her brother, and she doesn't understand why Jesus has allowed this to happen. And in this part of the story, we see the deep compassion of Jesus. When he declares that he is the resurrection and the life, we're assured of the divinity of Jesus. He tells us basically that he is God. But in the next moment, we learn of his humanity and his compassion. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that Lazarus isn't going to stay dead. But yet he still, in this moment, chooses to identify with Martha and Mary in their grief. He is moved by Mary's pain. He is moved by the death of this friend that he loved. 
And in this moment, Jesus, in full knowledge of the miracle that he is about to perform, weeps. Jesus wept. Sometimes when we're in a place of despair and hopelessness, we can forget that God stands with us in that pain. It can be easy to consider him distant and aloof. But in this story, we read that Jesus doesn't just stand idly by in our pain, but he shares in that pain with us. He weeps too. Jesus had compassion on his friends and he has compassion on us. But the beautiful thing about this story and about knowing the one who calls himself the resurrection and the life, that grief is always merely an interlude. Let's read on. Then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. The picture here reminds us of the severity of the situation. Lazarus is definitely dead. The stone is rolled against the tomb. No one can get inside. And Martha reminds us that he's been dead for four days. Jesus is unfazed by what's happening. He asks them to move the stone And Martha responds that it'll likely smell that there'll be an odor because he's been dead for four days. In the midst of this story about grief and despair, Martha's comment is kind of comical. It's kind of strange that Jesus is about to do this amazing thing. And she's like, oh no, but it's going to smell in there. We can't let Jesus go inside. It's probably one of the most British moments in any of these stories in the Bible. But it resonates so deeply as well, doesn't it? How many of us push back from allowing the resurrection power of God to work in us because we're afraid of what he might find? How many of us hide our inner self from God because we don't want him to smell the stench of death that covers it? But yet Jesus doesn't care about the odor. He moves towards the stench of death. He asks them to take away the stone and says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus's primary concern is revealing God's glory. He meets us in our mess and despair, the stench of death and the odor, and shows us the glory of the Father in its midst. And then Jesus starts to pray. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's easy to skim over this part of the story as it's only a couple of verses. But wow, what a couple of verses. Jesus simply cries, Lazarus, come out. And from the tomb emerges a man who has been dead for four days, now alive again. We can read these stories and be like, oh yeah, that's just the story of Lazarus. But this man was literally dead for four days and now he is alive simply because Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. The presence and voice of Jesus calls life back into Lazarus's dead body such that he is able to walk out of the tomb. That's another crazy thing. I imagine that if you've been dead for four days and bound up with linen, it would be quite hard to walk. But yet he comes out alive again. Life is brought from death. Hope is brought from hopelessness, resurrection from burial. Significant in this moment is that Lazarus doesn't cause his own resurrection. 
He is quite simply the most powerless he has ever been. He is dead. Jesus demonstrates that he truly is the resurrection and the life and that it's only found in him as he is the one that speaks resurrection power into Lazarus's mortal body. We too are incapable of causing our resurrection to new life. It is only by Christ's work in us that we receive this new life. It is not because of your worthiness or your innate goodness, because ultimately you lack both. Paul, the writer of the latter part of the Bible who I mentioned earlier, puts it like this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Whatever gifting you have or don't have, whatever skills you do or don't possess, whatever education you have or don't have, it doesn't matter. Like Lazarus had died and was incapable of doing anything himself, we were dead in our sins. And it is only through the outrageous grace and mercy of God that we have been resurrected to new life. Jesus says to us, come out. He calls us from death and offers for us to walk like Lazarus in resurrection life that only comes from knowing him. This story is a beautiful story in the Bible. It shows us the majesty and the power of God able to bring life from death, but it is a foretaste, an image of a greater story to come. The story of Lazarus is beautiful because it points to the story of Jesus. At the end of this story, we read that some people believe in Jesus and some go to the Pharisees and tell them what Jesus has done. This story scares the Pharisees and we read in verse 53 of chapter 11 that from that day on, after the resurrection of Lazarus, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Jesus' actions and words here would have been controversial. He claims that he is the prophesied Messiah and that he can bring resurrection life. He can bring life from death. He can bring joy from despair. He can bring hope from hopelessness. But how does Jesus achieve this resurrection life? How does Lazarus achieve this resurrection life? By first dying. Like Lazarus, Jesus dies. But he doesn't die from illness. He chooses to offer up his life. He chooses to be arrested, humiliated, betrayed, flogged, beaten, and ultimately hung on a Roman cross. Jesus enters once more into the stench and odor of death, fully identifying with it and taking on our sin and our shame and the wrath that we deserve for the things that we have done. Jesus dies. And then gloriously, miraculously, wondrously, Jesus comes back to life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus blows a back door into death. He puts a stopper into it. He declares, death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In rising to life, Jesus proves his statement that he truly is the resurrection and the life. And he offers that resurrection life to all those that will believe and trust in him. And it is on the claim of the resurrection of Jesus that all of Christianity hinges. But how do we achieve it? How do we attain this resurrection life with Jesus? By choosing 
to die with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian, puts it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The invitation to follow Jesus and to have this resurrection life is an invitation to die to yourself, to experience death like Lazarus did. We are called to pick up our cross, crucify the flesh and all its mortal desires and follow Jesus. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Of course not. The call is hard, but what do we get in return? We get Jesus. We get Jesus. We get to be in communion with the lover of our souls. We get life with the one who is called the resurrection and the life. And we get the resurrection power of Christ, the power that raised Jesus from the dead available to us. I love baptisms because we are so clearly reminded of what this means. We are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and so we are raised with him to new life as we emerge from those waters. Death and then glorious resurrection. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. If you are in Christ this morning, this glorious truth from Paul's letter to the church in Rome is true for you. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. All we need to do is die and we will truly know life. Resurrection is a person, a person who wants to know you, who wants to draw near to you, who this morning is asking for you to come to him. Resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. Um, I'm going to invite the band up. Um, I'm going to pray and just ask for God to minister that truth into our hearts. Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you that he rose again to new life and that he is the resurrection and the life. That there is life in Jesus' name. That there is resurrection power in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that this morning we would receive that. We would come to you, Jesus, and we would say, we want life. We want you. Whatever the cost is, we choose to give ourselves, to die to ourselves so that we might know this resurrection power of Jesus. Lord, would you crucify anything in us that tears us away from you? Would you crucify the flesh and all its mortal desires? And would you lead us instead to you the resurrection and the life. Amen.